my babies, and welcome to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy Electronic Greetings Day, Joe. Although I kind of feel that needs to be said in an electronic voice. I'm not going to do a rubbish robot impersonation. Instead, I'm going to make our audio engineer, Giles, earn his money. Giles, please put some really weird robot effect on this. Aren't all greetings electronic these days? In the future, we're going to have to have happy uh, human greetings day. Do you remember e-cards? Remember they were all the rage? Yeah, until people realized they were shit, and people much prefer receiving something physical and thoughtful. That's right. And uh, thank you, Crazy Carl, for whatever's on the way. Coming up on today's show, have we had a chance to catch our breath? I think I've slept for about 30 minutes in the last four days. Yeah. Have we had a chance to explore holidays in foreign countries? Check. Have we had a chance to watch movies and TV shows? Check. Have we had a chance to read books? Check. I read almost the whole book. <laughs> the, the answer to all those questions is more or less yes. Uh, we've had the time to put our, our feet up for just a second to spend some time with friends and family and have a little R&R. So we'll be catching up on our catch-up as well as speaking to the recently published, well, recently republished because she'd been published many times before, Alex O'Brien about her new book, The Truth Detective. I do believe that this is Alex's first published book. So you weren't a million miles off there, Joe. But yes, right. uh, Alex very kindly sent me an advanced copy of the book. I know she gave you a signed copy of the book. So we've both had a chance to read that. Very much looking forward to speaking to Alex on the show today. Excellent. Me too, because I, like I said, I read almost the whole thing. In addition to all the movies and TV, we actually got to watch for a bit by choice. We'll also be talking about the movie. I had to, well, I didn't rewatch it, but because I had seen it so many times before. Are we sure this week's Superfan Quiz is Ocean's Eleven? It is indeed. And to be clear, this is the version with Clooney, Brad Pitt, etc., not the old one with Frank Sinatra. I was confused because I, for another podcast over the last few years, I had to rewatch Ocean's Eleven, but it wasn't this one, which is very, very strange. I know. I know. Um, can I just say that not only was I thrilled to spend Thanksgiving in the United States of America, not only was I blessed to spend Thanksgiving with you, Joe, but I also got told by my host that I did Thanksgiving properly, and that makes me very happy. What does that mean? What did that entail for your host? You were my host. You told me I was doing oh. Thanksgiving properly. Oh, yes, of course. So, yeah, so Thanksgiving at my house, we do a Friendsgiving every year. Sometimes it's on the day. Sometimes it's the day after, depending on when people are available. And uh, look, you, you see what my house is like. It's a, it's, it's a modest home. It's not massive. So cooking for all those people is just not going to be possible. You saw what a clusterfuck it is, even having things catered. So I do kind yeah. of have most of it catered. I ask everybody to bring an item. Uh, we had a spreadsheet this year, which, uh, James, I was very glad to have your support over a couple people balked at the fact that I had all these rules and a spreadsheet. But last year we threw away like, I don't know, seven pies or something because oh, everyone brings a pie because it's easy to stop at the store and get one. And then nobody, eat, we don't eat a pie per person <laughs> uh, and we end up throwing it out. So uh, we did have it catered. And what I was really impressed by is when I went around, I, I, I don't take a ton of video and social media stuff in my personal life anymore because 
I do try to be more present these days and not have my phone out constantly. And who cares? Everyone's doing Thanksgiving videos. But when I got around to James's plate uh, on the one video I took, he had done it right. He had like a totally full plate, a little bit of everything. James, I assume you had had most of that food before, but what did you think of your first Thanksgiving meal in the US of A? I loved it. It was a lot of food because I didn't quite realize how big your plates were. They were more like <laughs> serving trays than plates. Um, I particularly <laughs> enjoyed the stuffing, which clearly had some kind of sausage meat in it. I always love it when the thing that's there to accompany the meat also has meat in it. Um, <laughs> what's, what's really funny is that, okay, so funny that A, my, my, th- my thing on the streams is always that I'm taking a break for sausage. Yes, there was, it was so- fennel sausage in the stuffing that I catered, but I also, so uh, James, like your friend brought uh, green bean casserole. There are a few dishes that people must have at Thanksgiving, and I'll say this, they're not the classiest of dishes. No. Um, green bean casserole being one of them. The other being stovetop stuffing made from a box. Um, and so I got the nice stuffing from the caterer, but I asked that someone make the stovetop stuffing. And that person also went through the trouble of making a bird and putting either chicken or turkey in their stuffing also. So both of the stuffings also had meat in them, which when you think about it is a little bit gluttonous and gross, but I guess that's kind of the point of the holiday. That's the theme of the day. I even got to watch a football game on Thanksgiving, which of course is part of the experience as well, because the Niners were playing the Seahawks that night. And yes, I got to experience pecan pie later on in the evening. So all said and good, it was a fantastic day. I should point out that there were three, a trilogy of former podcast guests at your Friendsgiving. Party. Hold on. So, so Nick Pine was there. Yes. Lauren Mann was there. Yes. Who is the third person that I'm missing? Special guest from Texas. Special guest from Texas. The only poker player at your actual event. Oh, Adam Levy. Ruthless. Correct. Yes. Also, yeah. Well, uh, yes, it was a great day. And, uh, you know, being, you know, those of us, we do it every year for people that can't go home to see their families um, because everyone who lives in California is a bit of an orphan. So it was cool having uh, some of my closest friends there. And it was great having you there, James. I have to ask, what was the second Thanksgiving like? You had a you had double duty. Double duty. The second Thanksgiving was just drinks because okay. I literally could not eat another bite of food until later that evening, as I said, when pecan pie was sampled. But during our downtime, Joe, we finally got a chance to catch up with a lot of TV and movies. And I know you have got a shopping list of stuff that you've worked your way through. Yes. Uh, let's see. Real quick. Uh, I started this show called The Curse. Not sure what I think of it just yet. Would love to chat with some folks about it on the Discord if anyone else is watching it. Uh, what we do in the shadows, the latest season, I think might be the best season so far. Um, it's already a great show. The thing I am most excited about, James, there was the double two-episode premiere uh, this week of Fargo Season 5. I'm so far behind. I watched the first season. I haven't even watched that Seasons 2, 3, and 4 yet. So I desperately need to catch up with my Fargos. The thing is this, is that the seasons are unrelated, except for very like tiny little Easter eggs. They're related. 
I thought that every season of Fargo got better until season four. I did not like season four at all. I was really disappointed. The first two episodes of season five I are as good as any so far. I'm really, really excited. Uh, I also watched a couple of movies. I watched one called Old Dads on Netflix that I thought started off great and really hated it by the end. I watched The Killer, the new day adventure movie oh, yeah. with Michael Fassbender. That's the one on watchable. Netflix, right? Yes, those are two Netflix movies. Very watchable. Watch this weird documentary called Love Has Won about this woman who thinks she's God and the cult that she ran for a couple of years. Uh, now I'm going to get into two movies. I'm just going through these quick because I know you haven't watched these, James. And it's no fun talking about movies by yourself. I watched Dick's The Musical. Um, really strange, but very funny uh, uh, musical comedy. And there are these guys that have been uh, on SNL the last few years called Please Don't Destroy, and they make sort of their own little sketches, and they put out a movie called The Treasure of Foggy Mountain, and it was great. It was perfect. It was, you know, there, nobody makes comedies anymore. Nobody makes just like a silly mid-budget comedy. Yeah. That's what this was. It was hilarious. Conan O'Brien's in it. And I don't know how this happened. Um, in, in the movie, one of them is playing Poker Stars VR. Uh, wow. Towards the beginning of the movie, yeah, it does. It's not. He doesn't say that's what it is, but he's playing. He's playing VR, and it's 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 Poker Stars VR. Really, really cool. What, what, what's um, that? What's that? What's that? Whoop, whoop, whoop. It's the brand police um, advising <laughs> us that it has actually been rebranded to Vegas Infinite. Vegas Infinite. That's right. Yes. Ve thank you. Vegas Infinite. Uh, although it looked like the old style, whatever. Yes. So it was really cool to see that because I've been a big fan of Vegas Infinite from the beginning and a big fan of what they're doing over there. And it is quite fun. And I'm hoping to get more into playing that myself again next year. Okay. So the one movie we both watched, yes. which I'd like to discuss, discuss for a second, was Dumb Money. This was better than I thought it was going to be because when I saw the trailer, I was a bit like, meh. I watched the Netflix documentary about the whole GameStop thing. I think most people have seen it. And I kind of preferred the documentary, but I thought yeah. this movie was fine. I thought that it was a... Now, I liked it very much. Unfortunately, I had just watched The Big Short uh, like a few days beforehand. And this is kind of like a not-as-good version of The Big Short. And I watched it with a, a couple of friends of mine. I watched it with my girlfriend and, and one of our, our girlfriends. And this movie assumes you know a lot. Unlike The Big Short, which has like a lot of VO and a lot of explaining of various terms and things that are going on, I feel like Dumb Money kind of took too many liberties with you understanding what shorting means and what a short squeeze is. And I thought they could have done a better job of explaining things, but I did like it overall. Um, James, you got me to watch an entire 26 minute YouTube video of a guy reviewing a reality TV show that I didn't see one frame of. Okay. So 007 road to a million. When the trailer first came out, I believe I said, I don't know what to make of this. And then I tried to get myself hyped up and excited for it. And then I watched the show and I was bored AF. I struggled through all eight episodes because I am a Bond fan and I am a completist. But to be honest with you, I wish I hadn't. Um, it's bad. <laughs> it's just bad TV. There's nothing exciting, nothing original about it. Very little connection to Bond. But that's not the problem. That's not the problem with the show. It looks amazing. They've spent a fortune on this. It's stunning. It's cinematic. But it's really, really boring. The concept doesn't work. 
And the weakest thing about it, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, is Brian Cox, who I think we talked about this last week, was clearly brought into a studio to do all of his stuff in post, and they've kind of like retconned his role in the whole thing because none of the contestants ever refer to him or really know who he is because clearly he wasn't around. And it also doesn't work having this kind of like, I'm a bad guy giving away money. It needed to be someone in MI6 setting challenges and being kind of like in control and the guy in the chair back at base. Again, just link it to the Bond narrative. Link it to the idea of the 007 films. All in all, a wasted opportunity. And as I said, eight episodes of bad TV. I kept thinking that when I was watching this review that there was going to be some sort of thing that tied it all together at the end that made it all all worth it and all makes sense, but it sounds like no. I also have to wonder, like, Brian Cox, he's been doing McDonald's commercials, and now he did this Amazon show that they must have paid him a shitload of money to do. Like, his his stock is higher than ever. If you imagine Brian Cox off the back of Succession, absolutely. His price is sky high, and his agent's like... Let's capitalize on this and let's book you all of this work that's going to mean you never have to work again. That's what I was going to say. It's like a lot of times when actors do stuff like this, it's because something's about to happen in their lives. You know, they're about to get a divorce. They're about to retire, something like that. So I don't know, man. It seems like a weird legacy for him to go out on as like a McDonald's pitch man and a, and a, and a reality show sort of weird glue that doesn't hold things together. Yeah. I don't I, know. I would be very surprised, by the way, if Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson looked at this series and were proud of it, but maybe that maybe they don't care. Ultimately, Amazon took control of MGM. Amazon wanted right. Bond TV content. If this is the price they have to pay to ensure that the main character that the fictional work they produce remains on the big screen then so be it but i would be shocked if there were a second series whereas there is a seventh series of selling sunset which i am watching right now and i did watch two films on the flight back from la um both of which i would class as airplane movies um as in they're not great but they were perfectly watchable on a flight joyride and renfield I loved Renfield. I thought Renfield was an absolute blast. It was way better than I ever expected it to be. Joy is Aquafina in both movies? No, Aquafina is not in Joyride. She's not in Joyride. Okay. No, no. And is is Joyride a reference to like the Joy Luck Club also or am I just yes. It yes. is. Oh, yes. look at that. I'm not I'm not just being casually racist. Fantastic. No, it is absolutely. Um that was the disappointment for me. I thought it was going to be a better and also different to what it was because again trailers are deceptive right and yeah. the trailer implies that the, the the film is about these girls pretending to be a k-pop band and fooling people that they are that they're, that they're these musicians that's like five minutes of the movie the rest of it is other wild and ridiculous things that they get up to it's fine but as i said if i wasn't watching on a plane after several glasses of wine i probably wouldn't have the time of day for it renfield i'll agree with you it's pretty solid and nicholas cage as dracula i mean what you know it's almost like the role he was he was built to play speaking of people that will take anything and everything as far as roles are concerned nicholas cage you never know what you're gonna get with that guy absolutely um anyway while we're on the subject of movies and tv shows we have a particularly horrific movie coming up as next week's Superfan Subject. We'll talk about that 
at the end of the show. Okay, let's welcome this week's guest to the Poker in the Ears podcast. She is a science writer whose work has been published in The Guardian, The Times, and the BBC. She's also a poker player and has combined her hobby and trade, writing her first book, a non-science book, sorry, a non-fiction science book (laughs) called The Truth Detective, which is about how to think like a poker player. Alex O'Brien, welcome to the show and congratulations on the release of this book. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, friends. Thanks for having me today. Hi, Alex. Wow. Have, having you here in person after having you in my head all day yesterday as I read your book is is weird. I haven't been through this before. I, before we get into the book, um, what would you say your specialty had been before this when writing about science? Before writing about the um, poker skills? Yes. Um, well, the the nice thing about uh, feature writers is that we try to sniff out, out really good stories. So um, I always was on the hunt for really interesting research and scientists and try to dig deeper. And um, yeah, I mean, my, my work would take me to you know, Seattle, uh, to speak to an oncologist or, you know, um, to Portugal, to speak to a different, you know, it was just, it, I think partly I was, uh, pitching stories that could take me outside of the UK that could be an excuse to travel. Um, but also I really like the stories behind the researchers and, um, how they came to, looking into a particular subject there's a lot of humanness behind the uh, academic side of um these people and i love all digging deeper into those stories and telling those stories yeah so what is your actual background alex how did you come to be a science writer so long story short, uh, I didn't always write. Uh, in fact, I was told at school that I wasn't very good at writing. So I canned that idea because I was led to believe that I wasn't good at it. So wow. I then went into my second passion, which was... Um, good job, teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went into design uh, and um, was in advertising for a long, long while. and um, But was writing sort of trend forecasting reports based on the connection between science and consumer behavior. And that was picked up by a publisher who then asked, hey, do you want to write for us? And then suddenly writing became viable again. Right. Sort of combining both my passions into sort of understanding how behavior is and decision-making is influenced through advertising. And, and that sort of um, the frontier of new inventions, innovations, and how they came out of scientific research. So I guess it was an organic development where I sort of then took on writing full-time because I kind of felt like I needed a legacy and I didn't enjoy my job as much anymore because it was like, you know, creating advertising campaigns for products I didn't really believe in or the <laughs> missions. So I felt like I needed to be honest and authentic and this allowed me to be that because i can just choose what i want to do now yeah i would trust the judgment of those people more than the teacher when it comes to whether you can write or not Um, (laughs) 
And, and, where, and where does poker figure in this story? Were you pay, playing poker all this time as a hobby or is this something you discover later on? Um, th- actually, through my a friend of mine who also was a writer and we used to meet up once a week to write because writing is very solitary, as is poker, actually. But um, uh, we would, and one day she called me, left me a message at four o'clock in the morning saying, hey, babe, I can't make it. I played poker all night. I made 6K. I'll buy you dinner next time. I know it. Okay. None of that made sense, but I called her back and left a message and just said, teach me. Um, because poker is this game that we, I only need through popular culture movies, right. Yeah. And only played by boys or men. And I love, I didn't know it was a strategic game. I just thought it would be a cool thing to know, you know, and my friend also a woman, her playing was super cool. Uh, she came around one day, explained the rules to me and some other friends. And my mind was literally blown because I could just see how amazing this game is and how complex. Um, they all left that night. I took my laptop into bed and queued up YouTube videos of World Series of Poker final tables and just binged <laughs> that for hours. And that was it. I was completely hooked. I just love, still love the game. So, yeah. Is the has the circle been completed? Have you canceled plans with a friend because you stayed up all night playing poker, winning six k? <laughs> well, it's now more like um, looking at the diary when like events are being um, uh, suggested. I'm like, let me just check this poker calendar to see if that's clashing with any stop so you know right now at the moment i'm being booked for events for talking and speaking engagements and um really interesting ones but i do try to book them such that they don't fall into major stops that i want to play so now that the book is done i want to play a lot more live poker again which i couldn't do in the last couple of years because i really needed to get the book out sure sure Uh, it's interesting what you said about your knowledge of poker had only previously come from movies and as a, a couple of podcast hosts who've spent far too much time reviewing poker scenes in bad TV shows and bad movies, if that is your exposure to the game, I can completely understand why you would have no concept of what the game is really like because it doesn't often get represented accurately. Yeah, and I think that that is still the case for a lot of non-poker players. So when yeah. I... Um, I'm now confronted with that viewpoint by others who don't know the game or have never played it before. That is their reference point. And I do hope I'm, I'm able to reframe the positioning of the game and people's mindset and people's understanding of it. Um, so because, as you now know, the, the book doesn't teach you anything about how to play the game. No. It, it's a very scientific book. Um, and I, Yeah. I just wanted to jump in here for a second, if I could, Alex, because your your book is uh, an expansion of a conversation that I have with people almost every single time poker comes up when they want to talk about tells or they want to talk about bluffing. And I try to explain it's not as cute and romantic as what it looks like on TV, but what it is is way more interesting than that. And it's way more scientific than that. And there's way more to it. And the way that they put it in movies and TV shows, 
it oversimplifies it in a way that makes it sound cool, but it's actually not even remotely as cool as things are. And you do an amazing job of laying that out in this book to the point where when I'm reading it, I thought of at least five or six people that I want to give your book to because I've recently had this conversation with them and haven't been able to articulate it in such a way uh, to, to even explain what you've got into here. Oh, thank you so much. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And and I have to say, um, during the writing of this book, the utter fear of um, disappointing or letting down either the science community or the poker world always was in the back of my head. Uh, and that was petrifying. We know the poker world can be quite um, scathing and harsh if you get it wrong. So. I didn't want to be crucified by them. Um, and the science world, I mean, I'm a science writer, so I need to get my facts straight. Yeah. So I had a lot of help in terms of, I'm not going to lie, you know, I had a lot of different types of uh, advanced readers that um, helped me pick up on, 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 on some nuances that I may have gotten wrong or um, data even, you know. I, I had one part that I had the 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 not the latest um paper that i was quoting and you know this kind of stuff is really important but unfortunately in science writing now on non-fiction science books it's the onus is on the writer it is up to us to get all our data right it used sure. to be that publishing has had fact checkers but that's actually no longer true so yeah, yeah. um first of all the fact that you mentioned William Kasuf on page one and I kept reading is testament to how good the book is. Uh, <laughs> the second thing is I was mostly impressed with the sheer scale of this in that we launched from anecdote to interview to expert to interview. The number of contributors, the number of people you spoke to, I mean, did you have this all planned out in advance or was it a case of, oh, now I've done this, I now need to do that. And now I've done that, I now need to do this. Mm. No, most of it was planned. I don't know if you guys have seen on my social media, I have my whole study um, wall. Uh, I haven't seen it, no. Um, I, like, I, the way I map out, I'm, a, I'm still a visual person, so the way I mapped out the book was just to start with a few post-its, structuring it, and then just added to it as I was researching and coming across people and for me and what the book also says you know if you find a fact try to verify it not just with one or two sources try to get as many sources as possible to make sure your your opinion your facts are accurate and then you can feel confident in that so i get gain confidence by really seeking out the experts the, the preeminent research within certain fields and I was very, very uh, privileged that they all gave me their time. I mean, I, I, I got to speak to Joe Navarro. We all know him, obviously. We, we, we've read his books and he's, he's had a good old time with me talking about um, non-verbal. And typically commands a pretty hefty appearance fee also for speaking to people, stuff like that. These are people who make money off of giving talks. So, yeah. uh, you know, for you to get these people's time is impressive. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you appeal to humans, human nature, if you ask them, uh, you say, you know, I need your help because this is about educating a wider audience into how to be more inquisitive, how to ask the right questions. And I'd need you to add your um, insights to give it credence. 
I, I think people are really happy to, especially when it's a sort of a more of an academic uh, book, uh, sure. that they're more happy to contribute, um, you know, because I, I'm, I'm likely to represent them accurately because I'm focused on accuracy. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you mentioned earlier on, Alex, that you were always attracted to science stories that allowed you to travel, that took you far afield. And I got the impression, and in fact, that you reference it in the book, many of these interviews, many of these meetings were face-to-face, not over Zoom. So you clearly yeah. got to travel a lot in putting together this book. Yeah, no, it was really great. I mean, one of my favorite stories is uh, traveling to Montreal uh, in Canada to to meet a magician. Oh, no. A former magician comes psychologist. A lot of magicians actually um, migrate into the field of psychology and um, research it. And this um, scientist called Jay Olson was amazing because as a kid, he used to feel stadia. You know, he was standing in front of a huge crowd doing magic tricks, but then um, found that he wanted to intellectually challenge himself more and started using magic to research um, psychology and human behavior. So he would then use magic tricks in his studies. So he made people believe that an MRI machine was implanting thoughts into their heads or reading their thoughts. So, so this, this, this particular section of the book was one I had a specific question about Alex. Um, so the stuff that you go into about magicians was probably my favorite uh, of anything in the book. Uh, obviously, I, th- I don't think I'm that unique in this, is that most people are fascinated by the psychology of magic, the forcing people to choose things, the sleight of hand, the the the, um, the uh, you know d- distracting people type stuff. And the fact the- that the CIA wanted these people to help them, which I think is amazing. So um, Great, right? I- I know that Jay would not tell you how the MRI trick worked. Did you ever figure it out or do you have a prevailing theory as to how it worked? No, because I'm at heart still a huge magic fan. I just don't want to lose that. You don't want to. I don't want to. I love Penn and Teller. I love all these big, you know, Darren Brown. I want to still go and be fascinated, even though now I know it's just tapping into loopholes in the brain. Like there's no real magic in the sense of that we understand it from stories and movies. But I still love it. And, and you know, it was it was amazing uh, going to see them and, you know, getting some magic tricks done in front of and me. And you saw this whole setup, this whole MRI setup, like you walked through yeah. it and was yeah. there anything about it that tipped you off that that didn't feel right to you? Nothing at all. No, I mean this is this is this was heavily planned out, right? From 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 the moment uh, study participants walked into the building, everything was thought through. It was about telling a story that they then trick participants would then trick themselves into believing because things would make sense and. You guys know how it is in a real world too. Everything is about how well the story is told. Um, even at the poker table, we talk yeah. about how well uh, um, a bluff is um, uh, created. And, you know, does it add up? So, yeah, he he thought of everything. He even played the humming sound of the MRI machine, which was unplugged through speakers just to make them believe it was actually working. I, I'm just so curious if I would have sniffed it out. Probably not because most people don't, but I did get set up to be on like a hidden camera reality show one time and something fell off to me and I just sort of pointed it out and they shut the whole production down and they were like, who wow. told you? And I was like, nobody, just this didn't feel real. There was, 
I could tell people were acting. I could tell that it just didn't really. So I'm like, oh, if I could have been through that situation, it just sounds like such a cool setup. I bet they would have got me if they got you. But I just, man, when people go through that much effort to pull something off too, it really just, uh, it's so impressive. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. Um, but, you know, so so many studies are, are lab-based and um, especially with, you know, I touch a little bit on lie detection. Um, a lot of these studies that are trying to suss out how people react uh, when they're confronted with lies or how they would, or when they lie, how they lie, these are all sort of artificially generated scenarios and setups um, to create something that comes close to real life and is believable to get real, um, real decision-making, real emotion, real reactions it really depends on how well the setup and the environment is put together. And I think he did a really good job at that. Yeah. Um, by your own admission, Alex, the book doesn't teach you how to play poker. Who is your target reader? Who are you hoping will pick up this book? Um, you know, it, it's really interesting because I wrote a book that I wanted to read. Um, I wanted a book that championed both poker as this multidimensional, highly cerebral strategic puzzle game. But at the same time, I wanted to champion the scientific method and the scientific process. Um, So I have two camps. But in fact, um, after three and a half weeks of book tours and speaking engagements, it has a huge, broad uh, appeal to a wide audience. Yesterday, I was at Saracen's Rugby um, talking to including the England rugby captain. Surreal moment. I mean, I had to pitch myself a little bit. Um, But we were discussing the poker player's mindset, which is, I find out, very similar to rugby players, how they deal. There's apparently tilt in rugby. Did you guys notice? I found this out yesterday. But for them... Um, thinking, hearing how poker players think and prepare for matches, how to deal with setbacks, how to deal with emotional control. They loved all of that. Yeah. And I was surrounded by these really tall players. And, you know, again, I, I've been very clear all along. I'm a nerdy science girl with fun, one foot in, in the science world and one foot in the poker world. But it was still hugely exciting for them to hear. And we discussed that we will have a poker poker night at the casino with everybody. But it just shows how appealing it is when you deconstruct the game of poker with, um, um, you know, to its core elements. And yeah, and the other other group of people that really enjoy reading it are corporates. So I also did a talk at an international law firm and I'm going to be at Google next week who read it as a business book. So that's so cool. Different things to different people, which I'm really happy. Yeah, about. I, I I think this book really does. Like, how many times, Alex, when people find out that you play poker, do you have folks say to you, "Oh, well, people tell me I'm really good at reading people, so I think I should learn how to play poker." I'm gonna slap this book in their hand every single time someone says that to me, and go, "Here, read this. If you still feel the same way after reading this, then maybe we can talk about." teaching you to play poker because I think that people hear that as a compliment a lot of the time and automatically think it's going to make them a great poker player, not knowing what it really entails. 
Yeah, I, I I find that too. I mean, oftentimes um, people say, oh, I could never play it. I don't have the folk face or I'm not good at laughing. <laughs> so uh, I really uh, hope it, it does this um, justice for poker, that it uh, pulls it out of this sort of gutter in a way and 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 puts it place it right next to games like chess and go um and and yeah and does that for the general public and it and the general public is responding really really positively to it because it helps them understand uh via poker how to pay attention how to improve their critical thinking and they see it now you know chapter by chapter yeah the Building sets of what makes a good player isn't too dissimilar what makes a good person, <laughs> you know, like success in life. So, yeah. But also, and this, please take this as a compliment because it's intended as one. Um, you've not made it sound dry because often when people look at poker as a strategy game or approach it from the point of view of these are the skills that relate between poker and real life often when people go down that avenue it can suddenly become a bit boring and we all know that poker is a game it's a social experience it's meant to be fun and i'm pleased that in your talking about the game you never lose sight of that and i think it's your passion for the game that also comes through in how you talk about it that yes there's a serious side to the game and yes it's a skill game but also it is a game and something to be enjoyed yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm so passionate about the game because it it's about outsmarting people in a way, right? You sort of kind of constantly. And then what happens with me is um, I find leaks, and and I was telling this the the rugby teams yesterday. I said poker is about being honest with yourself because you have to um, look at yourself and analyze your game and be honest. Uh, and not blame it on your opponent. Go, could I play that spot better? Is there something that I'm missing here? Um, because your improvement isn't coming through what you've done well. Your improvement is going to come through what you haven't quite uh, achieved or haven't quite optimized. Um, and that's that's what I love about it. You know, I I I I've, I am a much much better poker player than I was uh, a year ago. And I, I see that in the results I'm getting. So, you know, now I walk into a certain field and I just expect to do well. Yeah. I have that confidence because I know I have an edge of a, of a certain field. So, yeah, it's great. It's, it's really great. So are you now done with poker as a subject? I know you're not done with poker as a game. and You've already said you want to start playing more poker. But as far as work is concerned and as far as being a writer is concerned, mm -hmm. is there a sequel in the works? Is there another element of the game you can look at? Or is it time for something else completely different? No, no. Actually, uh, it's funny. You know, you stop writing and then suddenly you miss writing because you miss having a project. Is that sort of anti-climate. It's almost like when you... Um, preparing for a race, you know, the months before a race, and then the race comes to do it, and then you're like, now what? You know, you, yeah. you've lost a sort of feeling. Um, there is a book, I mean, what I can say is what we've discussed with the publisher as well is an extension to what it is now, right? Um, you take a mind sport and how to prepare for it mentally. But I think there is a book about um, science and sport um, how to become match fit. And I particularly want to look at the latest sciences, but also um, go travel in Asia because there are um, 
ways of preparation and attitudes toward preparing towards a match, a game, a business meeting that are very, very different to the West. And that is what I'm really excited about. Um, Alex has just decided her next vacation is going to be in Asia. So she's like, hmm, how do I, how do I, retrofit a book where I have to interview a bunch of people in Asia. (laughs) To be be clear, what I had said over lunch to my publisher, I said, I really want to write something to do with South Korea. She's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Specifically the Grand Hyatt in South Korea and Seoul. I feel like there's some meetings that need to take place there. Look, I'm not going to lie. That is actually what I said to her. And and I totally feel like um, there's so little literature that makes it into the West from the, from the from the East, and I want to open that up. And I, you know, I'm I'm not saying I'm the right person to do it, uh, but I want to venture out there um, because the focus. Even even when I was researching, I was really trying hard to include studies and research from Asian countries. Um, Latin American countries. You, you make a note of that actually in the very beginning saying that, hey, just, you know, like most of the stuff we have to work from is from like the Western world. Yeah, that's right. So excuse your, excuse your views and, and, and yeah. you have to acknowledge that somewhere. And I needed to acknowledge that what I'm saying is, is limited in, you know, is limited to, to, to way limited to the studies sure. that I have access to. Yeah. Um, and as far as poker is concerned, Alex, something I know that is important to you is yeah. obviously bringing more women into the game. You were part of the launch of the the Women's Boot Camp Initiative back in the summer. And obviously you were part of a panel uh, that spoke to women in poker at NAPT Las Vegas recently. Um going to put you on the spot. What is one thing that the poker industry needs to do? What is the one thing that tournament directors or people running live events need to do to try and combat the wider problem facing the game, which is outside of women's specific tournaments, outside of women's initiatives, when it comes to gen pop, when it comes to open tournaments, what can we do to tackle the problem that is men? <laughs> Thanks for that. Not uh, at all. Just um, speak for uh, half the population now, if you would. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, if I had to pick one thing. Yeah. Um, uh, it's giving it, it's being really really strict about etiquette at the table yeah um I, no zero tolerance for any kind of uh misbehavior comments um angling whatever whatever it is that some players do to make others not just women uncomfortable yep. it should and dealers should have the authority and the power should be empowered to go okay strike one strike two you're out no matter tournament or cash you're just out i think it it's not consistent there's uh, you know look at tournament rules for different tournament um stops they they they're all there just needs to be like one rule for all it you know regardless if you're very very big high profile poker player or you're just somebody an amateur but everybody has to adhere to some sort of poker etiquette and we need to decide what is acceptable and what is not and once that's done and you know that um if somebody's going to get funny with you or have an attitude that you don't you don't need to sit there and take it that there there are sanctions and penalties that will come 
And I think that I think it would be my one wish, I guess. Perfect answer to the question. And it's something I agree with 100%. Um, on a less serious note, okay. Joe, have you prepared a stupid game for Alex to play? I have. If Alex has five more minutes that she can spare for us. Uh, oh, I'm always down for a game. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so a- across your science uh, I- I- travels and or excursions, have you ever heard of the phrase nominative determinism? Uh, I should have, I feel like. Can so it? it, it- it is a phenomenon in which people's last names often determine what field they go into. So um, I noticed, like Moneymaker, for example, right? That would be an example of nominative determinism. Okay. And I noticed there was a person in your book named Penbaker. Yes. Who analyzed writing and analyzed words. And I thought that that was an interesting example oh, of yes. nominative determinism. Mm-hmm. So we used to play this game with Moneymaker all the time. We don't get to talk to him as much anymore. This game is called, Is That Your Real Name? And what I'm going to do is read you uh, the description of someone's profession and then a bunch of names. And you have to tell me which one is the real person and the others are names I made up. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, here we go. Okay. This first person is the inventor of Wicked Kitchen Sandwiches for Tesco. These are multiple choices. And here we go. Was the inventor of the Wicked Kitchen Sandwiches for Tesco, was it Derek and Chad Sarno? Is it Tobias Sand? Rebecca Munch? Or Archibald Between Bread? Is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry we, about the people that I'm laughing about. Can you tell me the first two again? I think it's Derek, the first. Derek and Chad Sarno was option one, and option two is Tobias Sand. Um, I want to go with Tobias Sand. You got it down to a flip. It was Derek and Chad Sarno invented the Wicked Kitchen sandwiches for Tesco. Uh-huh. All right, just just get warmed up here. Give me one more, one more. Oh, you got, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch. Don't worry, there's seven total. That's just one of seven. Here we go. Question two. Which of these was a British MP who was accused of making false expense claims? There were many of them. I I was just going to say. But which of these? Okay. Was it Simon Book Cooker, Thomas Froud, Bill Cash, or Timothy Whoopsie Daisy? This real names. <laughs> was only one real name in there. The rest I made up. So, so Thomas, what was it? Is it the first two again? Simon Bookcooker and Thomas Fraud. I think it might be Thomas. Bill Cash was the Whoa. MP oh, who was accused of making false expense claims. All right, we're moving on to science now, Alex. Here we go. Okay. Which I, of I these? Could get this. No pressure, Alex. Which of these is a professor of astronomy at the University of Edinburgh? Professor of astronomy at University of Edinburgh. Is it Professor James T. Kirk? (laughs) Professor Alan Heavens? Professor Regina Pluto? Or Professor Johnny Supernova? 
put Regina Pluto? Regina Pluto is a name I made up. We were looking ah. for Professor Alan Heavens. Heavens. It was between the two again. I'll write them down this time. Okay. You're getting it down oh. to a flip. You just gotta you gotta write your next book about how to win poker flips. Here we go. Question <laughs> number four. Which of the following is the co-anchor of the show Weather Command on Fox Weather? Is it Amy Freeze, Amy Melt, Amy Precipitate, or Amy Hurricane Sandy? <laughs> Amy Freeze? Amy Freeze is correct. Yay, you're on the board. Yes. By the way, oh, if you up. get the next three questions right, you have a winning score. You need to run correct. the board to have a winning score now. Oh, you you tell you now you tell me there's a leaderboard. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Question number five. This one's not easy. Okay. Which of the following was the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales from 2008 to 2013? Was it John Laws, James Council, Igor Judge, or Barry Stir? John Laws and Barry Stir. Tell me the names again and, and, and say it again. John, Law John Laws, James Council, Igor Judge, or Barry Stir. One and four. Barry Stir. Barry Stir is just a play on the word barrister that I made. I know. <laughs> Igor Judge is who we were looking for there. Are Igor you Judge. Somebody is an Igor Judge. Nice, nice, nice. Igor Judge. Okay, two questions okay. left. Shit. Okay. This one, this one might be my favorite. Oh my god. Which of the following is a three-time medal winner in synchronized springboard diving? Okay. Is it? Tatiana Davinsky, Svetlana Filipova, Annika Splashkoff, or Maria Pete in the pool? <laughs> Not Maria. Anna Div Tatiana Davinsky, did you say? Svetlana, what was it? Svetlana Filipova. Um, Anna what? Anna Annika Splashkoff. Divinsky, Svetlana Filipova. Svetlana Filipova is correct. Okay, two Let's out of go. six. You can get right, a maximum score of three if you get the final question right. And then, and then I'm, and, and then I'm leading anybody. That's the most no, important question no. I have. They're, they're, it's just a game against yourself. Absolutely. Okay, fine. You just, you, just, you just have to you just have to live with the shame for the rest of your life. <laughs> Question number seven. Okay. Which of the following was the principal engineer of the Water Research Center in Manchester, United Kingdom? Is it Andy Drinkwater, Chamath Floodgate, Richard Bath? Or Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> Richard Bath? Richard Bath is incorrect. We are looking for Andy Drinkwater. No. Who was the principal engineer of the Water Research Center. Look, I, I think we might have a new book 
on our hands for you, Alex, to get to the bottom of this. Flips, I would not share that secret. I would take <laughs> everybody's money. I don't blame Alex, you. Alex, you're a good sport. I love the book. I'm going to give away so many copies of it to oh, people so uh, who, who, uh, who I think could really benefit from at least being more educated on what they're talking about when they say, oh, I can read people. I'd be good at poker. Yeah. I also just people, loved- just, just be very precise, not saying all people when they mean most. That's my pet peeve, actually. When of course, yes. Sweeping yeah. statements. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm also a big fan of the book, Alex. I'm also a big fan of how seriously you took that quiz, which was just a silly game to close out this interview. Uh, thank you. I know you have a ridiculously busy schedule right now. I mean, you are literally traveling around the world. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like the Alex O'Brien book tour. So I'm so pleased that you could find time to talk oh to us. Oh my God, this is such an honor. Thank you, gosh. I, I couldn't wait to do this with you guys. A thank long you. time coming. Yeah, thank you. We really yeah. But, uh, so but but good luck with the truth detective alex and uh, and i hope plenty of people buy it and read it thank you i hope so too have a great day and finally as trevor mcdonald was fond of saying it is time for this week's superfan quiz we welcome this week's superfan william hunter hello william hi how's it going good thank you Okay. William, I'm sorry. What was that? I saw some fur. Where I? Oh, where... So, uh, yeah, there is some fur. Sorry, it's it's my uh, my little puppy. I've uh, uh, been uh, looking after. Well, I've got a little dog in with me, and so it's keeping oh. keeping me. Busy. I want to hold the puppy. Can we see yeah. the puppy, please? I'm <laughs> so, sorry. I know this is audio yeah. only, but I think even puppies. I mean, no, they right. transcend right. audio. So yeah. she's just been for walks. She's a little tired, but oh, um, right look at now, that. everyone listening to this show has to imagine a mini-sized fuzzy bear. That's basically yes. what we're looking <laughs> yeah. at right now. Uh, William, apart from being a dog owner, what can you tell us about yeah. yourself? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm from uh, Jersey, the Channel Islands, uh, and I'm a, uh, a banker. So uh, I don't fit the mold of uh, working in IT. Um, but yes. Uh, uh, outside of that, I like to obviously play a lot of poker, and uh, I do a bit of music as well. So uh, play guitar and and sing. I'm not, I, I used to do it a lot, uh, like playing a play with a, a friend and stuff. And <clears throat> just do gigs around town and stuff. But haven't done that in a while uh, since COVID. So, so I guess when you live in Jersey and you play in like a ragtag band, it must be like a lot of bankers and captains of industry that are in like <laughs> i never really thought of it that way <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't i'm not i'm gonna say it was not a surprise to learn that someone in the channel islands works in the finance sector exactly yeah yeah it's very very common um but i'm sure you can also testify to the fact that there isn't a murder every week like there was on bergerac no no i can't confirm that <laughs> i'm glad to hear it um what is the poker scene like in jersey uh i mean <sighs> To be honest, I, I it's it's not the biggest thing, in, uh, but there there are a couple of clubs uh, where you can play live poker. Um, I mean, I, when I used to play, it was probably maybe about four or five years ago. Um, you get probably about thirty people on a table or in different tables, and um, I think you know it, it, it is there. It's just that not not a lot of people know about it. As such, it's not very advertised. Um, the, there's no gam- I think the gambling laws are quite strict over here. They don't seem to promote that sort of stuff. But yeah, it'd be good if they did relax the laws a little bit and allowed some because it is. I think there's a lot of people that do it. It's just it's not well known. 
James sure. would love 30-handed poker. He plays <laughs> just tight enough for 30-handed at one table to be right up his alley. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm assuming that online poker is available to you, William. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Fantastic. Well, that means you can compete for a bronze power pass. And you have picked as your specialist subject a movie that I think everyone was surprised to learn that after 293 episodes no one selected yet, Ocean's Eleven, the 2001 version. Yeah, yeah, I was very, very, very shocked because I, I, you know, I've I only started listening to you guys maybe three years ago, something just literally uh, during the pandemic, and yeah, um, I was I was expecting that someone had done it in the past, but uh, clearly not. So I'm glad to be doing it today. It's probably one of my favorite I films. Was so shocked that when James told me that he goes, this week's super fan subject is Ocean's Eleven, the remake, that I thought mm. he meant Ocean's Eight. Oh. And I started watching, <laughs> and then I was like, no, 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 James is very specific. He wouldn't have meant no. Ocean's 8. He must mean the... Re- Who refers to it as the remake? <laughs> <laughs> it is a remake of a 1960s movie. That's why I, I was know, being specific. I know, but it's such a weird... No one, no one calls it that. Anyway, here's the good news, William. I, there's good news and bad news. The good news is I didn't have a chance to rewatch this movie because I was so... It was such a robust week of family and friends and watching new things. I did not rewatch this Ocean's Eleven, but the bad news is I have seen this movie a decent amount of times, and it is fairly strong in my recollection, other than the fact that it is a remake. I'm going to (laughs) say that the question selection, just glancing at what Patrick's assembled here, will play a major factor in this. Because some of the questions are gimmies, some of them may be a little bit tougher. But that's why we love Superfan versus Stapes, right? Because it has that element of variance, just like the game of poker. One more more question for William before we get going. William, as a banker, does this movie sort of resonate with you? Do you dream of robbing banks, of pulling off a big heist? Is that something that you think (laughs) about? It's not been in in my thoughts, but since we're working for a bank, but uh, everybody's thought of every man has thought about robbing a bank. That's a lie, William. I know you probably can't say it, but everyone has thought about robbing a bank. Moving swiftly on, Uh, there are ten questions, William, and I would like a number between one and ten. Yeah, I'll I'll go for my lucky uh, number, which is lucky number seven, please. Lucky number seven. It is always coming. What is the name of the nervous surveillance expert on the team? First name and last name, please. Oh, God. I thought I was not thinking about any names. I'm going to uh, take now, remember, multiple choice options are available should you need them, but that yeah. does reduce it to one point. Yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go with the uh, multiple choice, please. Okay, now, I if- knew this was going to be a question, so I looked it up ahead of time what this character's name was because I was like, nobody knows that guy's name, and I still don't know it, so I'm really <laughs> glad you picked this one. Okay, well, here are the multiple choice options. Is the nervous surveillance expert called Saul Bloom, Ruben Tishkoff, Livingston Dell, or Basha Tarr? Uh, it's Livingston Dell. It is Livingston Dell for one point. Joe, you can take an early lead if you can get your first question right without taking the options. Everything bar seven is available. I'm going to go with the movie I thought this was, Ocean's Eight. Number eight. How long does Danny tell Tess he is going back to prison for? I will need the choices. Is it one to two days? Two to three weeks, three to six months, or one to two years? 
Three to six months. Correct. And we have a tied game. <laughs> one point each. Seven and eight have gone, William. Every other number available to you. I'll go for number three. Question number three. What big event is happening on the night of the heist? Oh, uh, a boxing match? Uh, it is a boxing match. Four, two points. And Joe, you're up. Mm, man. All right. So you had a hard one and a gimme. <sighs> gimme. Uh, I'll take number nine, please. Joe's lucky number nine. This has a, uh, a bonus question attached to it. So the next question I'm going to give you, William, is the other question in the quiz that has a bonus. So okay. question nine, Joe. What was Rusty doing when Danny went to seek him out? He was teaching celebrities to play poker. Correct, for two points. And the bonus question, what is Rusty's second name? Ryan. Correct, for the bonus points. Okay, William. Question number four. As I said, this is the other question that has a bonus attached to it. Who was the 11th and final member recruited onto the team? Oh, is it... Gonna be between Soul and Amazing Chen. I think. Is it Soul Bloom? Would you like to take the multiple choice options? No. And I'm telling you right now, this is your one mulligan. <laughs> yeah, multiple choice. Then. Is it Virgil, Turk, Ruben, or Linus? Oh, oh. Yeah, Linus. It is Linus for one point. Let's see if you can get the bonus question correct. In what city does Danny recruit Linus? It's very tough. I'm gonna go. I need a bar. He's on. He's on the subway, right? America uh, isn't my strongest uh, subject. I'll just go San Diego. I don't know. It was Chicago. So Joe, you're up. One, two, five, six, or ten. I'll go with Oceans One, please. The original. What is Danny's motivation to specifically rob Terry Benedict's casinos? Um, I guess I'll take the choice. I have a guess, but is it his real motivation or his secret motivation is the thing? I'll take the choices. I, I have a bit of a lead. I'll take the choices. It's fine. Okay. Is it because Terry snitched on Danny, causing him to be sent to prison? Terry insulted Rusty a few years ago. Terry is dating Danny's ex-wife. Or Terry's just too damn rich for his own good. Terry's dating Danny's ex-wife. Correct for one point. So you have a one-point advantage going into the penultimate round. Two, five, six, or ten. William. Go for Ocean's Ten. Ocean's Ten. <laughs> Who directed the film? Oh, no, I didn't. Oh. I'm going to have to take the choices. Billy! No. Oh. Is it Martin Campbell, Mark Forster, Steven Soderbergh, or Mike Newell? Steven Soderbergh. It is Steven Soderbergh for one point. Two, five, or six, Joe? Uh, I'll go with five, please. Who plays the role of Frank Catton? Frank Catton is played by... Listen up, America! Played by Bernie Mac. The late Bernie Mac for two points. Okay, we are going to need, William to get the last question right without taking the options and we're going to need Joe to get his question wrong. Two and six. Six, deuce. Go for the deuce. 
Name the three casinos that the team rob. Um, the Bellagio, MGM, and Mirage. Correct. For two points. Okay, right. tight game. But Joe, right. it's your question. <laughs> Here we go. Question number Feel six. Feel free to get it wrong, Joe. <laughs> what is the name of the classical composition that plays as the group watch the fountains at the end of the movie? I definitely do not know this. <sighs> I have to take the choices. Is it Shit. Claire de Lune, Four Seasons, Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five, or Ave Maria? It's not Ave Maria. Claire de Lune was in my head, but that might be because it's the only thing I can name. Beethoven Symphony Number no. Five. I don't think it is. What are one and two again? Claire de Lune and the Four Seasons. I'm going to go with the Four Seasons. It's Claire de Lune. Ah! So, <laughs> we have a tied game, and that means we go to the tie break, which, as you may know, William, is always a numerical answer, and you can choose yeah. to answer it or let Joe set the line. And it relates to the end of the movie. As we see Ocean's Eleven standing outside the Bellagio Hotel, how many guest rooms are there at the Bellagio Hotel Ooh. in Las oh. Vegas? I think Joe's probably going to have a better clue than I am, so uh, I'll, I'll let him go first. And I'll Joe, set the line. 275 guest rooms. Joe says 275 guest rooms at the Bellagio. William, do you want to go higher or lower than 275? Just because I think Bellagio is a big hotel, I'll just go over. You were right to go over. The actual answer is 3,933. <laughs> you, you were just a little bit out, Joe. Just just, just, just a little bit out. Um, wow. So by virtue of winning the tiebreaker, you win the quiz, William. It was really nothing. You have taken down the power pass, and you're going to get the Poker in the Ears merch. Congratulations. Oh, wow. You're a winner. Oh, thank, thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Well, when, when Patrick said he was making the quiz, he said it was going easy. Uh, uh, some of those were quite hard to be honest but uh, not being uh, about the movie but. I cannot remember the last time we had a quiz about a movie where one of the questions wasn't who is the director so future <laughs> advice to all future super fans know the director go. of the film that you've selected as your specialist subject but luckily William you managed to squeak out a victory so thank you for coming on the show and congrats again perfect thanks guys appreciate good it good work William All right, my babies, that's just about all the time we got for this week's show. Coming up next time, it is the EPT Prague Preview Show for I don't know how many years running, but <laughs> Prague remains a constant in our lives. You know, I said this recently. Um, if if things got shook up on the tour and we mixed up all the stops, Prague is the one I would miss the most if we stopped doing it. So um, always look forward to Prague every year. And next week, we're looking forward to looking forward to Prague. Yes. So who have we got lined up to appear on next week's show? Well, I've been trying to get Jesper Van Putten, but he's been Jesper Van Putten me off. Um, <laughs> God. Oh, I walked he, into that one. He, uh, he actually just got back to me during uh, during our record here. And it looks like we do have Jesper on the show next week. Jesper's left poker, which to me... I'm even more excited to talk to him. Yeah, so Jesper won EPT Prague in 2016. That was the last EPT Prague for a while because the tour took a hiatus 
for 12 months. Um, but no, it'd be good to catch up with him and find out what he's doing now. Um, like you, I love Prague. Really looking forward to going again this year. It just feels it's come around really quickly because we had EPT Cyprus and EPT <laughs> Las Vegas. It's like another event after just a couple of weeks break. But I'm sure once we're out there, I will embrace it. We can talk about our live streaming schedule and I'm sure people will be excited to know that we're going to be doing something a bit different in Prague. We have got a live stream first from Ooh. the final stop of EPT 2023. Excellent. I have a lot of questions about that, but I'll save them for next week. Yes. My question for this week is, how many shows do we have left for this year? Oh, next week is our, to use your parlance, season finale. Next week is our last show of 2023 before we take our extended Christmas slash winter break. So yeah, last superfan subject of the year will be the movie Champagne and Bullets. Widely regarded as one of the worst films ever made. A vanity project that just about crosses over into so bad it's good territory. I'm going to force Joe to watch it. Patrick's going to have to watch it as well to compile the quiz. We have a super fan volunteer who's going to watch it as well. But I'll juice the prize pool and we'll go out on a high. All right, we're going out a high. So going out on a high. I'm going to take radio lessons too. One more episode left this year. One more episode left this season. But for now, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.